0: Julian D, podcast za Welcome everybody. Um, it's yet another international uh, edition of Citizen D podcast. Uh, we are recording this on the 14th of May and you're listening to this recording on the 15th of June. Uh, with us today is uh, uh kaiser from uh, an NGO called Algorithm Watch. Welcome, Nicolas. Um, So you did, you published a story uh, recently that said uh, unchecked use of computer vision by police carriers carries high risks of discrimination. And the story was about automated surveillance in the European Union cities. Um, Can you tell us what the focus of, of this story, of this research was and what were the general findings of it?
1: There is a lot of uh, discussion uh, in in Europe about um, face recognition Uh, but there is much less uh, discussion of uh, other forms of automated surveillance. Uh, In some uh, cities, uh, police use uh, systems that can uh, automatically uh, recognize uh, people who are wearing um, red trousers, for instance, and they can uh, follow them throughout the city or they can automatically uh, detect uh, cars that are uh, driving on bus lanes or people who are uh, illegally dumping trash. Uh, And all of these systems um, use what I call automated surveillance. Uh, And I tried to uh, have an idea of how widespread uh, this was because unfortunately, um, none of the um, European institutions uh, have done that. Uh, so, I tried to to map as well as I could, and I found out that uh, it was indeed widespread, uh, and I could uh, trace at least um, twelve examples of um, police using automated surveillance in six um, European member states.
0: Mm. Uh, what would be your uh, reasoning behind this uh, widespread uh, usage? What are some uh, arguments that the that the Um, let's say the police forces or the general governments are using when they're trying to push for um, automated surveillance implementation
1: the arguments uh, deployed by those uh, pushing for this technology are are nothing new Um, they start from the assumption that uh, crime is extremely high and that it can be uh, solved using uh, technology uh, and this has been going on since at least 40 years, uh, with um, uh, especially with uh, CCTV, uh, with uh, surveillance cameras. Um, now with the automated surveillance, uh, the argument uh, is that uh, the magic of artificial intelligence will uh, allow to um, detect crime before it happens. Uh, some vendors are claiming that they can spot uh, groups as, as they become violent. Uh, others say that they can automatically uh, spot uh, theft. Uh, so there is this um, ideology uh, that uh, technology will solve crime, uh, which has yet to be uh, proven. Mm.
0: Uh, you mentioned, uh, I was going to ask you, uh, are, is there any truth in that? Is there any truth that technology actually stops crime, which sounds like a like a line from from the old classic movie RoboCop.
1: Um, There is a lot to unpack in your question. Um, (laughs) uh, But to to, to keep things simple, uh, I'm not aware of any study that uh, showed that uh, surveillance cameras uh, had any impact on crime or on well-being, for instance. Uh, and regarding automated surveillance uh, the situation is even more uh, murky uh, because first of all we don't know where it is deployed as i said uh, face recognition that there are some uh, legal safeguards uh, that uh, police forces in most countries have to um, publicize that they are using face recognition uh, but use, uh, it, when it comes to automated surveillance there are no such safeguards so we don't know where it's being implemented we don't know uh, how the uh, systems um, that um, run uh, automated surveillance work, uh, and there are, th- there hasn't been a single uh, audit that has been done, uh, according to um, the uh, European Agency for Fundamental Rights.
0: Hmm. Is there any difference, according to your research, between, let's say, the Eastern and the Western Europe or the East and the West uh, regarding this issue? We know that, let's say, the most stereotypic, uh, stereotypic um, country in the world uh, related to automated surveillance and surveillance cameras is, is China. But your, your research also notes um, cases that are coming from, from France, from Germany, from, from Spain.
1: Uh, I assume that by Eastern you mean uh, post-socialist? Yes. Uh, uh, I've never uh, seen much of a divide uh, between post-socialist European countries and um, and the others. Uh, There are many um, worrying uh, developments Um, In in Poland, for instance, where I I was told, I I did another similar similar story in December and Poland, that the Polish police told me that anything that had to do with um, the police work was uh, a state secret. Uh, But this would not be unheard of in in other countries, and when it comes to implementation, uh, there isn't much of a difference between uh, countries in Europe. any guess why is that? Why is this uh,
0: perception of surveillance tech that solves crime so prevalent
1: uh, all across the board? In the case of um, this ideology of um, that technology solves crime, um, I think you need to go back to to what the assumptions are. And in most cases, if you if you look at if you hear what these people say. Uh, they they seem to think that you have good good guys and bad guys in, in the world uh, and that all you need to do is to identify and stop the bad guys. Um, and to, to anyone who has done even a bit of social science, this kind of assumptions um, rings very false uh, and, and you have a l- large body of work in social science that can demonstrate that. Um, to the question why, why we are hearing so much of this discourse now, I think it shows much more uh, the uh, bankruptcy of social science uh, than it shows anything about, um, uh, about the marketing of these firms. Uh, of course, many uh, vendors of automated surveillance are using this discourse, but they haven't invented it. This discourse uh, has existed for a long time. I think the reason why it's become so prevalent since the 1980s uh, is because uh, social science uh, has, um, as as a social force, uh, has collapsed. Mm. And again, uh, why is
0: this happening? I mean, how did how did that uh, collapse um, come about? What are some reasons that, uh, let's say, the social scientists, the sociologists, uh, psych- uh, psychologists. Uh, drop the ball in in the, in the let's say information um, society or information technology development, and they're let we or they are letting uh, engineers run the show more and more.
1: I, I think most of the uh, collapse of social science has to do with uh, what has been asked asked from uh, university um, in. Um, non-socialist countries in in the 1960s uh, when um, university became uh, massified uh, and universities um, from being uh, places where knowledge was produced became places where uh, the workforce needed to be trained Uh, and what happened in the 1970s is that many of the uh, graduates in social science found it very hard to find a place on the job market because obviously um to 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 work in a in a a company you you, you might um i mean the the skills that you learn or the the knowledge that you learn in in a social science degree uh, might not be very helpful to to work in in a company and what happened then is that um, universities especially social, social science faculties have been accused of failing the economy Again, because they were seen as uh, training centers when they are in fact knowledge production center. Um, And from this um, um, change in the mission of university uh, came this um, collapse of the position of social science, which was being accused of being useless, uh, which might be true in terms of uh, professional training, but it was never the job of university to do that. Um, And and this led to um, Uh, to the loss of influence of um, social science faculties and the knowledge that they produce.
0: Mm. And since we're now, um, I guess you could say, living living in a a global pandemic times, would you say that these trends of technology uh, will save everybody? Are these trends uh, increasing? Are they more present, more prevalent than they were before?
1: Uh, The the short answer is yes. Um, (laughs) um, What I'm observing uh, as a journalist is that uh, governments are using more and more a rhetoric of um, personal responsibility um, that uh, citizens need to um, uh, work on themselves uh, to stop the pandemic. um, And in so doing... um, Technology will help uh, will help them um, uh, overcome the challenges uh, of the pandemic uh, and of course if you look at the details of the, the, the contact tracing apps of the solutions that um, uh, check if people are wearing masks automatically, which is also something that the police has deployed in some cities, um, uh, solutions that tell if workers are too close together, uh, these things probably have no impact on the actual pandemic Uh, however they do a lot to um, push this discourse of personal responsibility and tech solutionism
0: Mm. and uh, you you mentioned in your report and, and in in our conversation um you mentioned the 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 untesting or the problem of of not testing for for actual results of of this technology while at the same time we see politicians or decision makers being scared to let's say question the the industry of of information technology because that would make them seem uh, not hip enough or not being in line with the trends Um, can you think of some ways of let's say the general public or and the uh, decision makers to try and push for more um, testing of successful implementation of technology that we could use some sort of either physical or intellectual test which would then prove or disprove the actual um, um, the actual uh, usability of of implemented technology
1: I, I think there are two, uh, two parts to, to what you just said. Uh, on the one hand, you mentioned um, the, um, an, an audit of the technology to know if it's working, how it's working. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, as far as I know, uh, is not being done, uh, mostly because uh, member states of the EU and European institutions um, haven't thought about it. Uh, but it, it's being to, it's, it's um, beginning to change. Uh, it, it, in Germany and France, there is a discussion about setting up um, resource centers so, so that uh, regulators could access teams of data scientists, for instance, uh, who would be able to um, uh, to run experiments and and to um, audit uh, these systems. Uh, however, it's happening very slowly. Uh, and it might not be happening uh, with the um, appropriate um, means. I mean, if, if in the end we have a team of 10 data scientists uh, for a country as big as France, uh, it makes no sense. Um, and, and then there was another part to your question about um, the, the, the hip uh, character of technology. Mm. Um, and it's true. If, if you if you go against technology, you're um, running the risk of uh, looking uh, old-fashioned or uh, lead it. Um And I think this has to do uh, with, with um, something as simple as uh, funding. If you look at the uh, institutions who are tasked with uh, defending fundamental rights um, against. The the, um, the, the the risk that technology poses, uh, such as the data protection authorities in every member state, if you look at how much money they have, it's pathetic. I mean, it's uh, so little that some of them don't even have enough money to buy themselves a train ticket to go on location uh, and see a system with their own eyes. Um, with so little money, there is no way that they can fight the marketing of firms that have millions to spend, uh, to to spin their message and and pretend to be uh, hip. Mm.
0: <laughs> but is that um, is that the only problem? So so looking at let's say the work we do as a as a privacy uh, orientated NGO in 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 Slovenia, we often we often see or we often ask ourselves is uh, the line tech is bad for privacy the only thing that we can do about it because this um, this has sort of come into the into some some impasse where where you have the the uh, techno solutionists or uh, technologicals, uh, technological um, evangelists claiming that you know tech will save the world and privacy activists which are saying well they will not and this goes back and forth are there any other approaches or yeah i'm gonna say approaches to the to the um, to the issue of tackling this
1: uh, um, techno solutionism it's a, it's a great point that you're making because it um the question what should um, civil society organizations who uh, care about um, uh, civil liberties what what should they do strategically um, and, and it's hard um, to come up with um, a whole vision uh, again because um, governments have shown that they were not ready to uh, deploy uh, new politics to, to come back to the the problem at um, that that we discussed first uh, of automated surveillance uh, what should be done um, in my opinion but it's also um, a shared opinion um, if you look at the white paper on AI by the European Commission for instance or uh, what other academics are writing uh, what should be done is probably that this system should be um, audited that it should be shown Uh, that they work, uh, just like uh, drugs uh, in medicine are being um, tested before uh, they are being put on the market. Uh, And only if a system shows that it's working and that it's not discriminating against uh, parts of the population, then it should be allowed. Uh, And this, this message is not even controversial anymore, but the problem is that because there is no auditing center in any of the member states that can do that, um what good does it do as civil society to um to push for it uh, so they really beg- it, it really begs the question which is much larger than what we're discussing of how uh, can we force governments to uh, take back missions that they abandoned um, in a couple of decades ago mm. but but this um,
0: is it worth, let's say persisting in that uh, line of argument that there should be like a testing phase that we should because um, I've heard this argument before that we should equate the uh, industry of information technology with the industry of, of uh, medicine or other industries that are more heavily regulated in terms of, uh, of testing of proving successful implementations or proving actual worth of implemented technologies is it worth persisting? Do you see any movement that is going
1: towards towards the towards the light, to say? Uh, again, it's it's hard to um, address these questions without um, keeping in mind the larger political landscape. Um, in a very precise way, um, I think a lot has been achieved in the in the last few years. If you look at GDPR, for instance, uh, it can be seen. Uh, as a success for uh, civil liberty activists. If you look at the uh, white paper on AI uh, by the European Commission, it exactly says uh, what we've been discussing. It says that uh, systems that that are high risk uh, must be audited uh, before they are being implemented. So this should um, become um, a European directive or regulation uh, in the coming months or years. Um, so, in in this sense, yes, it makes sense for civil society to keep pushing and to keep making propositions, uh, because they they might end up in being um, um, made into law. On the mm-hmm. other hand, there is a larger uh, political landscape, um, and I think uh, Slovenia yeah. knows a lot about that, as do Hungary, Poland, and uh, France. Uh, that uh, the legislation might say something, but if politicians are intent on not respecting it, uh, they will do what they want to do, uh, and they might pay lip service, uh, and as I said before, they might create a task force of five or ten data scientists uh, who will, once a year, audit a system, uh, but it will change nothing to what's happening on the ground.
0: So, so, so that would be my, my final question or my final line of questioning uh, exactly what you said. So there comes there always comes a, a period in a, in a procedure where uh, things got or things get lost in translation. So you may have lip service on, on, on the area or on the field of legislature. And then you see that uh, translating that into actual activities on the ground uh, proves lacking, to to say the least. So, what can we do about it? What can we do that about uh, uh, about translations of privacy awareness, of um, uh, personal security, of actual uh, respect for for human rights and liberties, get get more, let's say, implemented in practice or get more practical.
1: It's, it's a very hard uh, issue uh, because it um, impacts the livelihood of the people who um, uh, think that they should fight for civil liberties. Uh, if, if we look just at GDPR, for instance, because it's uh, it, it impacts uh, every uh, European, uh, I think GDPR was a great uh, legal success. Uh, I mean, the, the legislation was... Um, probably as good as it could be uh, to protect um, consumers and citizens. Uh, If you look at what happened since GDPR came into force two years ago, uh, the answer is basically nothing. Um, It's uh, impossible for for, um, an internet user in Europe to to make any kind of GDPR claim, uh, mostly because the uh, Irish Data Protection Authority Um, is um, very much understaffed Um, i had a source the other day telling me that the irish protection authority doesn't even understand gdpr uh, but there are other uh, problems as well Uh, and in this case um, claiming that gdpr was a success when it's such a failure in implementation runs the risk of um, destroying the credibility of civil society organizations who fight for uh, civil rights. Uh, So I think, but this is my personal opinion, um, I think that um, civil society activists should be very clear about the failure uh, of GDPR and other um, similar uh, legal projects. However, uh, if as an activist you uh, start from the, um, if your starting point is to say that GDPR um, was a failure, uh, you run the risk of um, not getting funding for your organization, because much of this funding comes from um, institutions such as the European Commission or the European Parliament that have um, an interest in uh, claiming that GDPR was a success. Um, So, as uh, as an activist, uh, you run the risk of not being funded uh, if you um, highlights the um, hypocrisy of much uh, modern legislation
0: mm. And do you see that uh, changing with the uh, we're we're slowly wrapping up, but I just want to have one line of questioning. So do you see that changing with the with the coronavirus uh, pandemic? Are we learning something about it, or did it happen too fast to leave a a lasting impression of how wrong things were uh, in the field of of, uh, privacy and, let's say, digital security and surveillance uh, before it.
1: It's um, very hard to say anything about the pandemic because we're still very much in the middle of it. Um, However, I I had the feeling that um, when discussing the uh, contact tracing apps uh, much of civil society again um, played in the hand of um, technology company in trying to uh, frame the debates on contact tracing apps as a debate between health and privacy, whereas um, a look at what was on the table, uh, and this is not me saying it; it is um, several uh, experts are saying it as well um, that any contact tracing app, automated contact tracing app cannot work uh, just because of the uh, amount of false positives and false negatives it will produce. So th- there is no debate between uh, health and privacy. This is just um, a trick uh, to, uh, to sell more uh, product from the, the technology companies. Uh, and, and the fact that so many uh, civil society activists um, fell in that trap Uh, shows that uh, there is still much to be done, in my opinion, uh, to to have a more um, effective civil society.
0: Okay, Uh, Nicholas, thank you very much for for dropping by. Uh, Thank you. Wish you all the best with with your future work with uh, Algorithm Watch and uh, we'll keep in touch.